0: Amen. All right, so we are continuing on in our series in Colossians 3. uh, Or Colossians, we're in Colossians 3. We're going to read 11 through 17. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you uh, need a Bible, there are some guys coming down the aisles with Bibles. Just wave your hand and they'll give you one. Uh, We did read uh, verse 11 last week, but that's okay. It's a good uh, platform to start, so we're going to start there in just a minute. Colossians 3, verse 11. And it reads... In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be holy people, He loves you. You must clothe yourself with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as representatives of Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray again. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom, Lord, to come and read your word openly, Lord. I just pray for this time. Pray that you speak to us through your word, through your spirit, Lord. Just pray that whatever you want me to say, say whatever you don't, I don't, Lord. Prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word. Let us not leave here unchanged because of what you say. We love you in Christ's name, amen. may I have a seat. I like how God works. He's pretty neat, super neat. Um, that's an understatement. It just, uh, I don't know why I'm always surprised by the way that God works. It's as if he's in control. It's wild. Um, it was starting to prepare for this message and kind of planning it out a couple of weeks uh, out to kind of have an outline. And, and this week it was talking about how the, the there's a noticeable shift in this letter where the word you means y'all or all of y'all, and, uh, that's Texas translation, but, uh, that was for you, Richard. Just kidding. Um, but, but so many times in our Western eyes, in, in our US eyes and whatever you want to call it, we read things and whenever it says you, we take it onto ourselves and say me, and it's an individual only thinking of me. And that's not necessarily bad because we want to change. Again, uh, quite often try to remind people as much as possible that your relationship with Christ is not private. It's personal, but it's not private. It's not meant just for you. And when Paul is writing this letter again, he's writing this letter to this new church. It's a few years old and he's reminding the church, which is a good reminder that it's not just you individually person. It's not just you Dallas. It's not just you Tom. It's not just you on and on and on. It's all of us. And then we can quickly think all of us as all of us renew. No, it's not even all of us renew or all of us, all the churches in Modesto. He's saying all of you church, all of you Christians. So as we go back through this, think whenever you see you, you can write y'all or think of y'all, all of you and think of that. Because last week we were talking about how we needed to put to death these sins and strip off. But the thing is, is whenever you take something off, it is wise to put something on before you go outside. Just generally speaking. I know the emperor's new clothes, not new groove. I've been practicing that, saying that and blew it. Anyways, his new clothes. I really love that story because the emperor wants his new clothes. You probably read it. And if you haven't for a long time... Read it. It's really good. The emperor wants these new clothes, and so he hires his, or has his tailor come in to make these new clothes, something new. The tailor doesn't have time, so he just pretends there's invisible clothes and say only the great and noble and wisest people can see this. Here you go. And the emperor, trying to not feel like a fool because he doesn't see anything, is like, oh, those are pretty good clothes. So then he takes everything off and puts on this individual clothes, which means he's naked. So then he goes out in front of everyone, and he's naked. But no one wants to say anything, and it's awkward, and it's weird. But that's the same thing with the Christian life. If, if we only strip off the bad in our life, continuing to work at that, but we do not put in what we've read, these, these attributes of God, then we're spiritually naked. And we can't stay that way. A, lo- a lot of times um, throughout our history, our history as Christianity, there was just, it was a negative purity, I'm gonna take off all of these negative things and that therefore I am pure. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't, I don't dance. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Therefore, I am Christian. But if you're a jerk, what kind of Christian are you, are you being? And again, Paul is not saying you individual, if you don't put these things on, he's saying church, if you don't put these things on, you'll be spiritually naked. And again, that's probably a little bit of our Western eyes. So when Paul writes this, Two thousand years, two thousand plus years ago or so, whenever he wrote this to this church, the understanding at the church is they would have read it as y'all. So that's how we're going to look through it. The the you, all of you together. So in verse eleven, Paul continues and he says, In this new life, this life of Christianity, you gave up your old life. You are now saved. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. See, the Gentiles at the time, or the Greeks, they were so proud of how smart they were, how civilized they were. The, Jew, the Jewish people at the time, they were proud of how religious they were, that they were God's chosen people. And then there were these barbarians, and really the word barbarian just mean people who babble, because if you didn't speak Greek, then you couldn't, you were uncivilized, so These low, low people. And Paul is saying, first of all, it's important. We're all the same. God evens the playing field instantly. It doesn't matter what your background is, where you came from, what you do for a living, how much you owe. Christ is all that matters in your lives. I wrote down that God is this great label remover. When it comes to your identity, Christ is the great label remover. I'll talk about that for a moment because even, I think social media has really pushed this up to the forefront and, and I fall in the trap. I'm not making fun of you if you're, you're on social media, but have you noticed that the first time you filled out your social media profile, however long ago it was, hopefully you were 13 or over and you clicked yes, even though you were 10, whatever, uh, it asked you who you are. Give a little information about yourself and, and 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 you write dad, athlete, or mother, or athlete, or your job, or whatever it is, Jesus follower, Christian, whatever it is. Like you lay out who you are. And and what Paul is saying, I'm gonna remove all those labels. Your identity is in me. You are a little me. You are a mirror of me. And I'm not saying that we don't play these different roles, but sometimes we get into this trap that our role is who we are. What we do for a living or what we do for somebody else becomes your identity. It's really just your role. I know I can only speak for men because I'm a guy. Sorry, women, you can listen and let me know if I got this wrong. But I'm talking to the guys. When a guy meets a, another guy for the first time, hi, how are you? What do you do for a living? Or what do you do? That's almost like instantly. I won't, think, I won't say what I think women greet each other because I'm not completely sure. But, but guys, what do you do for a living or what do you do what do you you know you get that so immediately and we don't do this on purpose this is just how our society is this is what we've been taught socially i mean i sent out an email reminding everybody not to shake hands and hug and i tried to hug all of you and i'm sorry i apologize it just i i have a problem but people have their elbows out it's like a mosh pit or whatever but but it's like that natural response of what you do is what do you do for a living? And in the back of our mind, even if we don't pay attention to it, what we're doing is we're placing people on a hierarchy. We don't mean to. It, and maybe we do a really good job of not looking at it that way, but when you ask somebody what do they do, you know, when you're a college student or you just got out of college and you don't have a job, in the famous line, I'm in between jobs, well, then you're like, all right, you're low. Or you're a millennial or you're a whatever. Or I'm retired. Oh, then you're old. You know, I mean, we, we do these word associations with that. So then you may be asking, instead of for guys, what do you, instead of when you greet somebody for the first time, what do you do? Maybe ask them, what do you enjoy doing? Is a good question. Because then you'll find out a lot. And it'll be easy to say, I'm a pastor, I'm a doctor, I'm a truck driver, I'm a teacher, I'm a fill-in-the-blank. But God and this great label remover removes all that from this time and he's saying we're all on the same team not just this church but the other churches who proclaim Jesus Christ we're all on the same team now they may do things differently than us they may be more excitable in their worship they may do this they may do that we or be less excitable that doesn't matter he's saying that doesn't matter he's saying again he he reminds us Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And that's what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter. It's even filled. Don't, don't label people you're Christians. And he's saying again, now that you've stripped off, I gave you all these things. Put to death these sins. Strip off the old man. And now in verse 12, he gives us our responsibilities. Since he's blessed us, since he saved us, he gives us responsibilities. Verse 12 says, since God chose you to be holy or set apart people... He loves because he loves you. This is what he wants for you because it's not, you have to do all these things in order to stay in God's good graces. Jesus did that. It's to have this fulfilled life. Do this. I know whenever I first went to work for Kia, one of my first jobs was to answer the phone. That was a great job of technicians who were working on brand new cars with problems and, if you know anything about a mechanic or a technician, they get paid by, not an hourly rate, by their job. And if they get paid five hours for a job and it takes them 10, they're not happy. So they'll call in and say, this piece of junk, blah, 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 blah. This is all the things that I have done and it's not working. And, and one of my mentors at the time, one of the senior engineers, he said, he would always say, I appreciate what you did but if you want to fix it, this is what you need to do. Basically, he was saying, too bad that didn't work. Just shh and listen, right? But he said it so gracefully. What you did isn't working. This is what you need to do. And this is the list here that Paul is saying. He's saying, not only are you stripping it away, but don't walk around spiritually naked. Here, because God has blessed you, here's your response. This is what you must do. And that's what he says. uh all, throughout colossians you can go back through we talked about it in one and in two that that paul says you must when he says you must it means you must uh it's a requirement to live this life so so we're going to go through it he says you must clothe yourself last week was put on put on I, i gave the illustration about that guy who was a a goalie and we had a bad time and and then uh I had a bad time. He had a good attitude. It was awful, like 20, uh, 16 to 15 or whatever it was. And he was happy, and I asked him why. And, and he didn't think he was going to be able to play hockey anymore. And then he took off his prosthetic leg, and it totally just changed my attitude. But his reminder, I could still hear his voice clear. Every day I must put on. I must put on. In order to walk. In order to play, I must put on. I must put on. And then, so he's talking about putting on. We talked about it. Now he's saying, clothe yourself. So it's like this process. Put to death, sin, be of Christ, put on Christ, and now you must clothe yourself. It's almost like your outer jacket, your protection of who you are so clothe yourselves in tender mercy kindness humility gentleness and patience god chose you because he blessed you and since he blessed you and so we're going to talk about these these five clothes articles of clothes if you will first one is tender hearted mercy i like how king james puts it it says bowels of mercies sounds gross because it is but, uh, but during this time, the understanding, and that's really a literal translation of bowels of mercy, not tenderhearted mercy, you NLT know, says, but bowels of mercy. Because in this old time, in this ancient time, what was going on is everyone thought that your feelings and who you were came from your gut, from your belly. It didn't come from your heart, it didn't come from your soul. They really thought it came from your belly. And it makes sense because when you're nervous, where do the butterflies show up? In your stomach. When you hear bad news, sometimes you say, I felt like I got punched in the gut, right? Or you have this gut feeling. You get the point, right? So everything came from your gut. So what he was saying, uh, the King James translation, bowels of mercy. So basically it just means in your innermost being, have mercy. And mercy needs to come from deep within you. That means that you have to consider and think about mercy in advance. I heard somewhere, and I tried to look it up, but someone someone was mentioning that we want mercy for ourselves. Maybe mercy for our close ones, but we want justice for the world. And if you think about it, think about when you drive. I always love going back to the way that we drive. You notice that if you are driving and someone speeds by you, you call them a speed whatever, demon or something, or wave your fist at them, or whatever in your anger they're going too fast even though you yourself are going 10 miles over the speed limit but if someone who is going the speed limit they're going too slow so we have this this weird concept that it's self-centered what I'm doing is correct what everyone else is doing is wrong but they deserve justice the illustration would go on and say if you ever got pulled over by a police officer who gave you a warning do you Chase back down the police officer to say, no, I deserve a ticket. Give it to me now. No, you don't. Or if you're speeding by and you don't get caught, do you lay in your bed thinking, man, I really got away with one. I need to go to the police station tomorrow and turn myself in. No, you don't do that. But when someone speeds by, you want that justice. But again, it's this mercy that's from deep in your stomach, deep in your pit, deep in who you are. That you've already considered automatically you're going to show mercy. Because if you don't practice mercy, anticipate mercy, it's not all of a sudden just going to come out of you. And then kindness. Originally what it means is in wine, talking about wine, it's when the wine lost its spike, its roughness. Over time it's smooth. That's the original meaning. And don't you just love to be around kind people? Aren't you just drawn to them? Like they're just kind. You just want them to hug you. Well, if you're a hugger like me, you just want to be around them. You just, it's so, it brings so much comfort. Right now, if I ask you to think about the kindest person in your life, you probably can think of someone. Right? I always think of my grandmother. Her hugs were the best. Her touch was the best. She could scold me like no one other. But she was so kind about it, and I smiled when I was in trouble. That's a great gift. But what is your natural response? So if you feel like you're a kind person, what is your natural response to someone who disappoints you? What is your natural response to your children who annoy you? Fifteen times. Or coworker. And also with the kindness, there's an anticipation again that it's going to come. That eventually it's going to be there. Just like that original language with the wine. Whenever it loses its spike, its roughness, it's going to do this over time. So there's an anticipation that you're going to be kind. So in your gut, you're going to show mercy. You're going to not give people what they deserve. And also kindness, you're going to anticipate, I'm going to be kind. Have you ever... Have you ever been in a situation where you're about to go in the meeting and the whole time there you're praying, let me be kind, Lord, don't let me say stupid stuff? Well, I have. Um, Let me just be kind, whatever the situation is, and then all of a sudden something happens and you're like, "Ah." I love the Disney movie Inside Out. (laughs) That's a great, the fire guy. But just that natural response, are you kind? How do you naturally respond to people? If you practice kindness, it comes naturally. And then humility. Good old humility. And this time when Paul was writing about humility, the Greeks would have considered humility or being humbled as a bad word. You can call me mean. You can call me ugly. You can call me nasty. You can call me whatever you want, but don't call me humble. It was looked at as a very low position. Because at this time, it wasn't so much being a humble person. It was humiliation. Don't call me a humiliated person. But the reality is humility is not this weak position. I wrote down a couple of notes here. Uh, If we're not humble, if we're not full of humility, humiliation will quickly come. Have you noticed that? And in a deep sense, and, and really what it means in that original word, if you're looking at it, it means a deep sense of one's moral littleness your moral littleness. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not even thinking less of yourself, about yourself. And it's not even thinking about other people more, which it includes. It's simply being in the presence of the Lord all the time. Because then you realize how big God is and how much you need him. Your focus isn't on yourself. And I'm sure, again, that you've you've heard that uh, we are created in God's image, which we are, um, but that doesn't mean we need to stare at our ourself in the image and only think about it. Because the question I wrote down to myself, and I wrote this to ask all of you, have you ever considered how much you think about yourself on a daily basis? Have you ever considered how much you think about yourself on a daily basis? So I did this awful thing. I kept track the other day. It was awful. I got, I got over myself by like 9 o'clock in the morning. I think about myself all the time and I consider all of the times that I've been offended or put off and someone did something, cut me off said something rude, said something mean whatever it was and I'm not talking about injustice to me or in in the world, I'm just talking about someone did something I didn't like such as dropping your kids off at the school line at school test your faith like no other I was so upset that someone jumped over the curb to cut off everybody why was I so upset? I could lie to myself and say, oh, they could have hit a kid. No, I was upset that they cut it four lines and I was good and I waited in line. Like I only thought about me. I'm going to spend a moment just to talk about anxiety here. And before I get into that, I'm not talking about if you have a diagnosis. I'm not talking about if you're on medication. I'm not talking about that anxiety or depression or trauma or anything like that. I'm just talking about generally if you're an anxious person, if you have anxiety, without that, What is it that brings on this anxiety? It's the focus of yourself. This week, Natalie and I were blessed enough to close escrow and move into a home here. And um, I found that for the whole month of escrow closing, I was anxious. I was worried. Uh, I even talked to some of you about it, that this is not my personality. I haven't been this anxious since I was 10. Like maybe a final in college or something like that. But what was it that I was so anxious about? I was only thinking about me. And here's the list. I'm going to be honest. I wrote down, will this actually ever close escrow? Will we get this house? Will we buy this house and the roof fall in? Will we get this house and not have enough people to help us move? Which everybody who helped us move, thank you. We had tremendous support. What happens if we get this house and people don't like it? Who cares? Why, why did I care about that? That's stupid. In one of the rooms there was a gold wall. It was awful. What happens if people come over and think I like gold walls? What is wrong with me? What would other people think of me? That's dumb. That's where the source of anxiety. I wasn't thinking God for this opportunity to walk through this. I wasn't thinking God that we're in a position to buy a home. I wasn't thinking God that we're setting roots in a place that we love and that we're going to be here. I wasn't thinking about all these people who were going to help. I wasn't even doing that. I was just thinking of all these irrational things in the midst of trying to figure out if we're going to have church or not here on Sunday. Because I was, and to be honest, when we were talking about it as a leadership, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, if we have church, people will like it. Some people won't. If we don't, people will like it and some people won't. Well, we're just going to lose. It's a lose-lose situation. We want to be respectful to our government officials who made recommendations, who haven't done it. But yet we want to show the love of Christ. Like this whole balance, what is everyone going to think? What is everyone going to go think? And then when you stop, and this is for all of us, the root of our anxiousness is our root of focusing on ourselves that's not what god called us to do to love one another not just love yourself to only think of yourself so again ask yourself how much have you have you ever considered how much you think of yourself in a day i mean we have memes for crying out loud selfies that we post for reactions. We get sad when people don't like them enough. Or common enough. The focuses on ourselves. And that's what Paul already knew. Way before social media and selfies. That in order for all y'all. All of us. To be clothed in Christ's love. To show this. We have to stop thinking about ourselves. And not just our little niche of Christians. But our concern for the world. And for one another. The other one he adds is gentleness. King James and NIV calls it meekness. And it's not being super soft. It's not someone who can't make a a decision. It's not someone uh, who can't stand up for themselves. It actually means great power under control. I like that. It's like a fire hydrant. Whatever it is, 50 or 60 pounds of pressure per square inch. How does those little red caps hold all that pressure back? But yet when you need it, there it is. It's when a wild five-year-old who runs around 100 miles an hour all day long, who skips naps and then crashes at the end of the night, but someone who's running up and down and is like a tornado in the house, it's when they find a ladybug and with the softest of hands brings it into their mom to show them. That's meekness. Or when the big, giant, strong grandfather is six foot nine, who's built like a linebacker, holds his granddaughter for the first time with gentleness and meekness. So it's not having power, it's power under control. It's when you have all the power and authority in your company or in your position and you show grace to a new hire. That's what Paul is calling us to. That's what he's reminding us. And then finally, he patience. Clothe yourself in patience. Hurry up and wait. Patience. King James calls it long-suffering. NIV calls it long-suffering. I don't like long suffering. I don't even like little suffering or short suffering. But patience. It's long for a reason. It's defined really, it's slowness in avenging the wrongs in our life. I like that. Slowness in avenging the wrongs in your life. Just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's right to do it. Sometimes you just have to be patient in the situation, patient with the people, patient with the process. And I consider myself patient with people. Patience with processes. Hurry up already. We already know the game plan. Let's go. Patience. Patience. I was a youth pastor for a very long time. And oh boy. Patience. I remember specifically one time there was. Always in your life there are a couple of people who just rub you the wrong way. Right? If you have a, if you have a long list of those people. That's scary, but you know, those people, you just, you just clash. And I remember my first year of being a full-time youth pastor, there was, there was a boy that was super obnoxious and weird and would show up at my house in the middle of the night and knock on my window just to leave, just to, I mean, he was a punk. He grew up and became a police officer. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> just kidding. He really did. But anyways, I remember the first time we had this big event. It was my first event as a full-time youth pastor who was totally in charge. We had this big event, ordered all of this pizza. Just if you're ever planning an event, order five times more pizza than you think you need when teenagers are around. And and he went to this large box of pizza. And I understand that you take two slices, you sandwich it up, and you eat it. I get it. I may have done that yesterday. But whatever, regardless. But what he did to this large pizza can only be called, he turned it into an accordion. I don't, I don't know what else. He took a, an entire large box of pizza and folded it all the way around. Had this big pizza and he was eating it and eating it and eating it and eating it. And then he wiped his face on me. <clears throat> we are not friends. That's what I'm saying. And he just did it and he was obnoxious. So already... Every time I knew I was going to see him at youth group or an event, I had to prepare myself just to be around him. And you may think, hey, that's a good idea. But you know what I've noticed? That when you have to prepare yourself to be around people, you're not loving them. You're loving yourself. You're putting yourself in protective mode. And sometimes you have to do that. I get that. But if every time when God has called you to minister, to love someone in your youth group, in your small group, in your life, if you're just preparing yourself, you're not loving them. And I know this because verse 13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone, not just those you love, not just those you have to, anyone who offends you. We'll get to the next part. Part B of that in a moment. I like this word making allowance. Make allowance. Making allowance. Forbearance. Maybe if you grew up that was the terminology used. And, and really what that means. It means that you have already prepared in advance to forgive someone's faults. If you notice this whole section in three is do this in advance before it happens. That's why you clothe yourself. You know it rained last night. You didn't all of a sudden run out in the rain and then try to get your raincoat on. Well maybe you did. put your umbrella on. It means you got prepared. You put everything on you needed to go do it. You know, when you're playing football you don't, in the middle of the first quarter, you don't all of a sudden think, hey, I'm going to put my cleats on. That'd be a good idea. Let me put my shoulder pads. Oh, here's my helmet. You already in advance prepared to do these things. You've already in advance prepared to forgive someone's faults and forgiving anyone who offends you Because when we do that, it helps take our focus off of ourselves. And the reason why, he tells us, remember the Lord forgave you. If that's not more than enough, I don't know what is. Remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. It's a requirement. It's a requirement for the sake of your life as a walk, Christ. You know the people who have this peace that we're going to talk about who are kind, who are merciful, who are gentle, who are patient. You just want to be around them because they bring something out of you that you wish you could have in yourself. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Your last piece, the jersey that goes over your pads, the last part of your uniform in the marching band, the last part must be love and again not individually you love but all of us as christians put this love over ourselves which binds us together because if we only do some of these or half of these or even all of these but yet we don't do not love we're told first corinthians 13 then what are we it's binding it together and this love comes from christ and perfect love casts out all fear we're told and that's why he goes on verse 15, and I think it's so appropriate for this week and the last couple of weeks and the weeks we're going into. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And that's key. It's not the peace that comes from all these things that you've done. It's not all the peace of all the clothing, all these parts, characteristics that you've done. And let the peace that comes from Christ, it's only from Christ. And that's such the need that, that we need in the world today. Rule in our hearts have command over our hearts, puts things in check in our hearts. And it says, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And now the peace is now transitional to all of us. We must all be together in peace, not just inwardly in our hearts, but all together. And always be thankful. If you struggle with anxiety, with, with depression, with anything, I, there's something that I, I've always been, recommend I do for myself. And, do a biblical counseling and taught me this is a couple of things to do write a list of thankfulness write the things of all the things you're thankful for and when you're done go back to it and write it again write all the things that you're thankful for it really helps you take your mind off of yourself by putting it on yourself by what god has given you and bless you things all the things that you're thankful for and the second one is look for a way to serve Look for a way to serve, which also simply includes giving someone a call. And the reason that you need to look uh, for ways to serve is because there's someone that you know at that exact moment who is feeling just like you and would love a call. You know when you're down and out and someone just texts you randomly out of the blue or gives you a call or sends you an email, whatever? It just brightens up your day. Do that for somebody else. And third, read scripture. And read scripture. That's what the peace comes from. And always be thankful. And he goes to 16. He says, let this message about Christ. In all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Praise the Lord at all times. Praise him in the storm. And whatever you do or say, do it as representatives of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I'm, I'm just guessing, assuming that in the next couple of weeks, people are really going to look to us, us Christians, for the peace that we have, the thankfulness that we have in our heart. For the way that we put, clothe ourselves with kindness and mercy and patience, forbearance for one another. That's what people are going to want more than anything else is that peace that only comes from Christ with only having that saving relationship with Jesus. And lastly, I wrote down, say you're sorry. When you don't put these articles of clothing on, say you're sorry. I imagine it this way. I'm very practical. If I run outside and I forgot to put my pants on, which never happened, don't worry. I would quickly say sorry and go mend it and correct it and put clothes on. So do that. So if you forget to be kind, be kind. Admit it and say, I'm sorry I wasn't kind to you. If you forgot uh, that with all the meekness that to have your power under control, ask for forgiveness. If you you weren't humble in a situation, if you put down someone, put that on. Ask for forgiveness. Be gentle in your response. And when you haven't, when you yelled at your kids, when you flew off the handle, ask for forgiveness. And be patient. Be patient with yourself through this process. It's an ongoing, lifelong process. We're never going to have all these articles clothed perfectly on. We're not always going to, above all, clothe yourself with love. Sometimes we're the most unloving people and we have the love of Christ in us. So ask for forgiveness. And that's really what the gospel is. God forgave us. So I'm sorry to all of you I have not been merciful to, kind to. Whenever I made it all about me, Whenever I put myself or position myself higher than you. When I didn't respond with gentleness, but I was harsh, I was snappy. Especially whenever I rolled my eyes and give a disgusting look. When I wasn't patient, when I rushed, when I tried to take a shortcut. So I'm sorry to all of you when I have done it. Because I'm sure that I have and I can think of times. And most of all, I repent and I'm sorry for, to God. that Any sin and all sin is directly towards him. But yet God has forgiven me and he has forgiven all of you. So with that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, thank you, Lord, that as Paul told us, not only to strip away all the bad, but to put on good stuff. Put on these characteristics that you've lined out, Lord. Again, Lord, we, we know that we must clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, meekness, And patience, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have all of these so perfectly done. That you are a God that does this. Lord, and as as Paul continue on to to be quick to forgive one another. Lord, let us be quick to forgive. If there's anyone in here who has unforgiveness in their heart, let today be the day, Lord. Lord, as you said, for the forbearance to be prepared to Forgive. As you have forgiven us, let us make allowance for that already in advance, Lord again, we pray for our nation, for our community, Lord, during this time with this virus going around, Lord, we do pray for protection, Lord, our desire is not to have it to spread it, Lord, we do ask for healing, Lord, but mostly we we want more of you, God, we want your will to be done, we want people to come to know you, Lord, we pray that through this hard time, through this Crazy time that you will be glorified, Lord, and that we can be a part of it, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your peace. As as verse 15 said, and let your peace, the peace that comes from you, from Christ, rule in our hearts. And for all of us as one body, we are called to live in peace. Let us do that. Let us be prepared to step up. Let us have a list of thankfulness. Let us be ready and able to help anyone who's in need. We thank you that you love us, that you showed us how to do it first through your son. We thank you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.